I want to talk to you today uh, about a subject that it seems we're hearing less and less in Christian circles, the idea of what it means to apply the blood of Jesus over our lives. Uh, we, old-time Pentecostals, we used to call it pleading the blood of Jesus. You don't hear that a lot uh, anymore, not because I don't think it's important to us, but I think it's because culture changes, patterns change, but I want to reintroduce us to some things that are very important. Let's begin by praying the Lord's Prayer together, as is our custom. And while we're getting ready to pray, let me say to everyone that is not here today, wow, this may be the biggest crowd we've had. I'm not sure. It looks like it. Um, but what we uh, say every week is that you are loved, you are missed, you are prayed for. We know that there are those that have suffered such incredible loss lately, loss of loved ones. There are some that are still sick um, in a fight to regain their health. We're praying for you for whatever reason you're not able to be here um, as we try to get this rotation in place. We want you to know you are prayed for. And as always, hello, Seth. Hello, Lena. And hello, Jackson. We're glad you're watching today, too. Let's pray together, shall we? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive them that trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Lord, we also pray now that you would come upon the people of God. Every one of us have called out to you for strength, for stamina, for focus, and for hope. And we thank you for what you are doing. We thank you that in difficult times, the Lord is ever faithful. We declare, even when we don't understand all the dynamics, that God is good and everything that he does is good. We ask you, Lord, to begin to pour out on your people healing and health, a double blessing. And we say, welcome, Holy Spirit. We say, Holy Spirit, Come in your special way. We ask you to come with the greatest of anointings and strengthenings. Come, Lord, in a way previously unknown to us. Lord, we ask you to move in our hearts so that we don't lose hope. You said we would reap if we don't lose hope. And it seems like there are so many things just trying to rob hope from us. But Lord, restore hope. Restore hope. Lord, we ask you to do it in the strong and powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. What is this thing that we call pleading the blood of Jesus. Most traditions in Christianity don't use that phrase. There's nothing wrong with that phrase. It comes from believers that put this 
appeal to God for the covering of the blood of Jesus in their scripture, uh, in, in their prayers rather. And a phrase that was often used, especially among Pentecostals, is, Lord, we, we plead the blood of Jesus. We plead. In other words, we ask for, we implore you for the covering of the blood of Jesus. Now, I want to um, try to give you a, a bit of an understanding so you'll know where I'm, I'm coming from. Um, 1966 was a very interesting year. It was the year I got baptized. It was the year that I really began to take discipleship seriously. I was just 11 years old. There were some challenges. There were some challenges. Um, there was social unrest that I did not understand. We were beginning the first steps into a war that I did not comprehend. The Yankees finished last place for the first time in their history. I did not understand but I could lean on the Packers who were winning championships and the Celtics who were winning championships and Steve Spurrier winning the Heisman Trophy. So life was balanced out, okay? But there was also a spiritual moment that occurred in 1966 that I didn't really see coming and I'm not really sure that I understood all the dynamic of it. Um, let me, let me in 60 seconds explain what happened and then in another 60 seconds give a disclaimer, lest someone misunderstand. I went through a period of time, uh, the better part of a year, when I lived in absolute terror and fear at night. I, I was afraid of the dark. I was afraid to be in my little bedroom alone. Uh, my older brother wasn't home anymore. He had gotten married. My middle brother had gone off to college. I was pretty much alone in that room, which wasn't a bad thing. Um, it was only a 10 by 10 room. I'm not sure how three of us were there to begin with, but something happened. Something broke in me that opened the door to such incredible fear that uh, it went from having my mama come in and pray me to sleep to having my mom or my grandmom come in and sleep with me to get me to sleep. It moved from that to where even when they were in the room, nothing, nothing could bring relief. And you say, well, what was it about? It was blood. It was the sight of blood. I, some of you will remember that uh, uh, an old magazine, famous Monsters of Filmland, and the, 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 the models, the 98-cent models, the Wolfman, Dracula, Frankenstein, Creature of the Black Lagoon, I was into all of that. I just grew up with a, a love for a good ghost story, and I still have to watch myself because I still like that sort of thing, um, and, and I have to be careful what I, what I listen to. But I watched those movies with great interest, and without any knowledge on my own, I began to develop this fear, especially vampires, the, the, the blood that was, was spilled. I fell in love with a TV show called Dark Shadows. And um, some of you are laughing, you, you can repent later. <laughs> no, I, I'm serious. It wasn't viewed as something evil. It was just, it was just there. It was on TV. 
Um, but it gripped me to the point that by the time we came to the end of 1966, I was, I was oppressed. I was oppressed. I'll even say it this way. I believe I was demonically oppressed because of the fear that that put in my heart. Now here's the disclaimer, the second 60 seconds. I want you to understand just because something affected me this way, it may not have affected you that way. Not every child is the same. Not every home is the same. Not every personality is the same. And I think we need to be careful of two things. I think we need to be careful that we paint everything evil and saying if you, you know, read this book or you watch this book or whatever, uh, I mean a movie, that it will cause you to be demon possessed. I think that's unhealthy. I think that's not accurate. But the other extreme is saying, oh, there's nothing to it. I just love it. When we start talking about darkness and we start walking in a realm of spirits and ghosts and demonic creatures, we need to be very careful because we don't know what things are aligned in a life and how it can affect that life. I don't know why with me, but it just, I was primed for an oppression. Um, there were a couple of English movies that came out that I went to see in the th theater that escalated Dracula up to a whole new level. And by the time the end of 1966 rolled around, I was really struggling. My mom didn't know what to do. I grew up on prayer cloths. Anybody know what a prayer cloth is? Yeah, I grew up on prayer cloths, and I believe in prayer cloths. It's based in the book of Acts out of, uh, they took pieces of Paul's apron where he worked um, uh, on the tents, and they would cut it up, and Paul could not be everywhere. He could not go everywhere, but they would pray over them, and there was such an anointing on Paul's lives, they would send the prayer cloths out, and people that could not get to Paul were healed. Now, you got to be careful because there's all kinds of ritual. There's all kinds of phoniness that's out there. But what that does teach us is that God is so eager to respond to faith. And the people of God are so eager to connect that God is willing to work in different ways. In fact, uh, we, the pastors, have been praying over, I think it's 1,500 prayer cloths to send to the homes of those that are sick and wanted healing. And now we're being advised not to send anything out that someone else has touched. So we're just going to let the anointing marinate till this thing passes and then we'll, we'll send them out. But loved ones, um, this issue of the blood w was terrifying to me. My mom prayed herself silly. My grandmom prayed herself silly. I went to church. Now you got to understand, I was reading my Bible. I was loving the Lord, going to church, doing everything I knew to do. But it's possible sometimes, especially in the life of a child. You guys with me? It's possible, especially in the life of, the chi of a child, for something to latch on to that child's psyche and cause fear and anxiety that the child may not understand how to fight. Uh, and, and there are things that might affect you as a child that might not affect you as an adult. Now, it got pretty significant. Don't get me wrong. I wasn't uh, sitting on top of the house with a rifle. I wasn't levitating in the graveyard. It was nothing like that. It, it just, I was fine till it came time to go to bed or, or I saw something, um, you know, with blood. 
And uh, to make a long story short, I grew up, we plead the blood of Jesus. We plead the blood of Jesus. And I understood that when you would plead the blood of Jesus, you were asking for the powerful blood of Jesus to work in your life. That's what it was about. It was just as simple as that. My pastor is the one that God used to help me get past this. He came over one night near, near bedtime and he and my mom and dad and I think my grandmother sat down uh, in my bedroom and he said, uh, he said, Steve, I've been praying and I know what this is about. And I thought he was going to say, don't watch any more Dracula movies and don't watch Dark Shadows. Well, he didn't know my mom had already told me not to do that. Um, you know, I had broken all of my famous monsters of Filmland models and thrown the pieces away. I'd done everything that I knew to do. And this is what my pastor said. He said, I thought he was going to give me a list of things to do. He said, there is nothing as powerful in your life as the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, and the church is beginning to forget the power of the blood. He said, we face trouble without thinking of the power of the blood. We face the enemy without thinking of the power of the blood. And as I was praying for you, knowing that we had done everything that we know to do, the Lord spoke to me and said, the power of the blood of Christ will be so important in this young man's life that the enemy is working overtime to minimize and take away from him the understanding of the blood. Indeed, he's trying to present in him a fear of the blood. And it was like the light just came on and he laid hands on me. He rebuked the enemy. He prayed for the blood of Jesus to cover me. And he said, Lord, this is a spiritual battle. Every victory this young man will win in his life. I, he didn't know I was going into ministry. He didn't know any, none of us did. I mean, I was only 11 years old. He said, but everything this young man is going to face hinges on his ability to plead the blood of Jesus and to understand the importance of the blood of Jesus. And he said this, he said, Satan, I now command you in the name of the Lord to stop your lying. You are no longer allowed in this room at night. You are no longer allowed into the dreams of this young man. He belongs to the Lord and he is covered by the blood of Jesus, not by the blood of vampires. He's covered by the blood of Jesus, not by the blood of monsters. And he from this night forth is going to sleep sweetly understanding what it means to be covered in the blood of Jesus. And he might have prayed a little bit more, but he said, amen. He left, I went to sleep and never had a day's problem again. I mean, what had gone on for a year was broken <clears throat> like that. You say, well, pastor, what, what, what do you want us to do? I want you to listen. <clears throat> And we're going to move quickly. You've got in the outline the major points. We don't have time 
to deal with this in great detail. The services have been going a little bit long and we're, we're trying to cut back, not because we're trying to hinder the Lord or anything like that. We just realize when we have a live service as being live streamed, we got some different dynamics to deal with. So I'm going to introduce you to some things that you're going to have to walk through. Let's go to where this important theme of the blood of Jesus came, for, came from. Okay. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, they shall take every man a lamb according to their father's house, uh, a lamb for a household. If the household is too small for a lamb, the man and his neighbor next to him uh, shall take according to the number of persons that others will share a lamb. According to what each can eat, you will make the count for the lamb. Your lamb will be without blemish. A male, a year old, you shall take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month. When the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs in the evening, then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the house in which they eat them. You've all seen that in Cecil B. DeMille's movie or Disney movie, how the blood is applied to the frame of the door, the two sides and the top. And uh, they shall eat the flesh. That night, roasted with unleavened bread and bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled with water, but roasted its head with its legs in the inner parts, and you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, your loins girded, sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand. You shall eat it in haste. In other words, he says, you're not relaxing for dinner. You're dressed, ready to go, and you're going to eat it quickly. Because it was a symbolic meal. God's about to bring you out. He says, you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night. And I will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. See, it wasn't just God fighting Pharaoh. Um, I'll... I'm going to deal with it on our Wednesday night study of Moses, but the 10 plagues were designed to take on the 10 most powerful gods of Egypt one at a time. And it was God saying, I will totally dismantle everything you believe about the gods of Egypt. Okay. Um, he said, I'm going to execute judgments because I'm the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you upon the house where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague shall fall upon you to destroy you when I smite the land. Now, Levens, I want to do a couple of things today. I want to explain to you the principle behind the blood. And I want to point out just a few scriptural notations about the blood. And I want, want us to see four things that happen when we apply or plead or ask for the covering of the blood of Jesus. And then I want to give us some marching orders as we leave. Let's look at these general thoughts. Um, first of all, um, the idea of pleading the blood of Jesus was a core thought in the early days of Pentecostalism. You've got this part in your notes, right? Okay, good. Um, it is impossible 
to read the account of Passover from the Old Testament without understanding its significance. Unfortunately, it has fallen out of favor today as the church has limited teaching to the blood of Christ to a, a legal element of the covenant. And, and teaching today about the blood of Jesus is almost window dressing. You can go to an Orthodox church. Well, I say Orthodox, that could be a denomination. But you could go to a, a traditional church and they will say, oh, yes, the blood of Jesus is important. The blood of Jesus washes away our sins. But it's viewed as little more than just the legal signature on God's action. We don't understand the power of the blood of Jesus. Um, the element of covenant appears almost nowhere anymore. As a result, many Christians have unintentionally lost the understanding of the significance of the culture of sacrifice upon which Judaism and Christianity is based. The modern church in America is doing everything to fight the blood to, because they view it as offensive. The blood of Christ is the cousin Eddie of Christian theology. You'll let him come, but you want him to stay in the back road or uh, back room or stay outside in the RV because he's embarrassing. We are taught in our seminaries today that the blood of Jesus was the way God communicated with another culture, and we need to find a better way of explaining God's great gift of salvation. But loved ones, there is no way to explain salvation apart from the sacrifice and the blood. Okay, um, we've worked hard to remove that which offends the mind and culture. But remember what Paul said in his writing to the Romans. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, even though it is foolishness to the Greek or Gentile mind. What he was saying is the Greeks and the Gentiles have all of their polished theologies that don't offend the mind. They enhance the mind. He says, but what we preach is foolishness to them. The idea of a blood sacrifice on the cross, it's foolishness to them. It's silliness to them. It is unnecessary to them. He said, and when we preach it to the Jews, it's a stumbling block to them. The thought that God would have a son was scandalous in the first place because they didn't understand the dynamic of it. But then it took on monumental offense when they said that God has a son who must die a bloody death for us to be redeemed. Let me say this, and I'll, I'll try to move on to some other stuff, but we do not have the option, and I say this to every pastor that would listen I say this to every church member that goes to churches where this kind of thing is happening. We do not have the option to replace biblical truth with cultural relevance. We, the, the God that we bow to over the last 20 years is we've got to be relevant. So we use secular music in our worship because somehow um, Elton John can communicate something spiritual better than a Christian leader. And we, we have been bitten and we've been poisoned. We've been infected. And that's why the average church in America has no power. That's why the average church in America would never preach about the power of the blood of Jesus. Because we think 
that to reach people, we have to appeal to cultural relevance instead of biblical truth. And all we're doing is building a house of cards that's going to fall. Now, this word plead, plead, maybe, maybe that's an old word that could be changed. <coughs> but plead carries the idea of an appeal for the benefits of the shed blood. If you don't like the word plead, a good modern word might be the word apply. <coughs> now, since the earliest days of our faith, the importance and application of Christ's blood has been misunderstood. It's, it's been like this from the beginning. When Jesus spoke about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, what does the Bible say happened? At that point, not over any other teaching, not over any other doctrine, but when he talked about the importance of the blood, it said that many stopped following him. <coughs> and that's how central and how core it was to the teaching of Christianity. Now, Protestants and Catholics may differ on the implications of the blood, like at communion, but both Catholic and Protestant alike understand the power of the blood. They understand that it's a place of great significance. The Romans were so appalled by the idea of the blood and its association with communion that Christians were persecuted as cannibals. That was the, one of the first bases for persecution of Christians is that they ate flesh and drank blood and they are cannibals. And that was the first line of persecution that the Christians had to face. Mithraism was a false cult um, that, that, that nearly overcame Christianity in some areas. And, and Mithraism basically had a perverting te perverted teaching about the blood of Jesus. So the, 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 the most successful cult that rose out of Christianity rose up because they twisted the teaching of the blood. Now I want to go a little bit deeper here. Maxwell White, he's not trying to make a doctrine out of it, but Maxwell White in his books on demon possession and spiritual warfare, he has pointed out that in many regions, demons responded to the blood of Jesus almost as though it were a living entity as insofar as spiritual warfare was concerned. You say, well, that's not balanced to call the blood of Jesus a living entity. Well, first of all, I think, it, I think it is a living entity, number one. But number two, it's the same idea that the writer of Scripture gave to the, to the Word of God itself. He says it's not just pages with words on it. The Word of God is alive and powerful sharper than any two-edged sword. And you know what it's like. If you've got a bad attitude or is a bad moment, the Bible can be nothing but a collection of words. But when you've got yourself in tune with the Spirit, it becomes alive. And I think the same thing is true of the blood of Jesus. Billy Graham, who um, the world is a worse place with the loss of that man. This is what his sponsor said to him. Uh, it, it, there's, there's, it, in fact, it was said to him on about three different occasions. Mr. Graham, you no doubt have potential for promising future in Christian ministry. My advice for you, if you want to be successful, is twofold. First, stop saying the Bible says. And secondly, stop emphasizing the idea of a blood sacrifice. That was a practice from another age, another culture. Modern man no longer thinks along those terms. Bloody religion is offensive to modern man. 
that's just some general observations. Now, there's just three or four scriptural notes, and we could spend the rest of the day talking about the spiritual connotation. But think about this. Early on, the scripture says the life is in the blood. The New Testament would tell us without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And skeptics and atheists and agnostics today say God is just such a morbid individual who can only be satisfied by blood. He's got bloodlust and I wouldn't want to serve a God that had this fascination with blood. But Levin's what we understand when we read the scripture is that the reason God required the shedding of blood is not because he has a bloodlust. It's because the shedding of blood was the most intense, the most deliberate, the most far reaching thing that could happen. Life is in the blood. And God was saying, you want to know how bad sin is? You want to know how sin operates? He said, understand that there's nothing you can do to deal with your rebellion except the shedding of blood. He was saying, it's not that I need the blood, you need to understand the ramifications of sin. Your sin is not something we joke about and say nobody's perfect. Your sin has broken the law of God. My sin has broken the heart of God. And he says without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin because it's the only way man understands the depth of our depravity. And that's why Peter would put it this way. You were not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver or gold. Now, I would love to have some corruptible things like silver and gold. But he just puts it, bleh. he says, you were not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold, but you were redeemed with the precious, and that means valuable and unique. You were redeemed with the precious, valuable, unique blood of Jesus. There's one song my daddy used to love. I, I don't know why he loved it so much, but whenever we would sing this song, I often saw my dad tear up. And it was that old song, when I see the blood, I will pass, I will pass over you. I, I don't know what the story was behind that. Maybe that was when my dad began to understand the significance of our sin and our redemption. But my dad, till the end of his days, whenever that song would be played, his, his whole body would, would shake, his, his soul would respond to that. Now with these thoughts in mind, let me very quickly tell you four things that happen when the blood of Jesus is applied. You say, what do you mean when the blood of Jesus is applied? Um, when I was teaching us how to pray for our children, I said there are four things that I pray over my family, over my children, my grandchildren every day. It's, it's not a ritual. It's not the only thing I pray over them. I have four alarms set on my clock. And these are four things that I pray over my family every day. Number one, I pray for them to have the favor of God. I pray for them to have the favor of God. Number three, I'm going to jump ahead, is I pray for them to be full of the Holy Spirit. And, and along with that, full of Scripture, full of faith, the things that the Bible tells us to be full of. Number four, I pray for angels to attend to their way. So I'm saying, God, give them your favor. God, give them your spirit. Give them your faith. God, let angels watch over them. But every morning, the second thing I pray is, Father, I ask 
for the covering of the blood of Jesus to be with my children, my grandchildren, my wife, everywhere they go. I pray it over you. And I, I, you say, what are you asking for the blood of Jesus? The blood of Jesus in Scripture does some things, and I want the effect of the blood to cover the life of those I love. Let's go back to Passover and look at it very quickly. Number one, when I say, Father, please put the blood of Jesus over our lives. When R.T. Kendall prays, he prays for a sprinkling of the blood of Jesus over our hearts. We'll be able to receive the word of God. And when I pray for the blood of Jesus, the first thing that happens, uh, using, using Passover as an example, <clears throat> there's protection from evil. This blood shall be a sign for you upon the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. I'm not talking down to you. I just don't know if you've ever thought of it. Pass over, you know, we get that name. I will pass over. Okay. When I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague shall fall upon you to destroy you. When I smite the land of Egypt, you know, we quote that verse, you know, God, God doesn't want us to be sick at all. He said, I will bless your food and water and take sickness from the midst of you. I'll, I'll put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians. And we need to claim that verse. We need to love that verse, but we need to understand the context of that verse. God says, I judged Israel with sickness. And I don't think when God said, I will put none of the diseases I put on the Egyptians, I don't think God is saying you'll never be sick. But God was saying this, sickness that comes from judgment, sickness that comes as a result of sin, sickness that comes as a result of carnality. If you will walk in obedience to me, that will not be a part of your life. He says, the Lord will pass through to slay the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to slay you. When we plead the blood of Jesus, the destroyer is kept at bay. Now there's a time for all of us to die. You know, somebody asked me if I was ready to go to heaven. I looked at my pastor. I was just a teenager trying to learn how to witness and my pastor said, well, it's like this. We're prepared, but we're not ready. There's a big difference. He said, if you're getting up a, a busload tonight, we're not going to sign up, but we're prepared. <clears throat> Exodus 12. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover for he passed over the houses of the people um, of Israel in Egypt when he slew the Egyptians but spared our houses. And when they understood the power of the blood, they bowed down their head and worshiped. I want you to understand, loved ones, that sacred blood of Jesus mitigates or works against the bloodlust of the enemy. Jesus said of Satan, he comes to kill and steal and destroy, but I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. And it is the bloodlust of the enemy that is conquered and we are protected from that by the blood of Jesus. When you read Revelation 12, you see the battle between heaven and hell. You see the battle between angels and demons. You see the quest of Satan to destroy Israel and the people of God and even Messiah. And this is the summation statement of Revelation chapter 12. We will overcome him and we will do it by the blood of the Lamb. We overcome him by the blood of the lamb, by the word of our testimony, and by the power of a devoted life that's not afraid to die for Jesus. Now, I do want to give you one caution. Do not fall into the trap of treating the blood of Jesus as a rabbit's foot. 
Do not say, this is my good luck charm. Don't say, oh, 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 I forgot. I plead the blood of Jesus. Nothing can touch me. <laughs> Don't do that. Israel did that in Samuel whenever they went out against Philistia and they said, we're going to take the Ark of the Covenant with us. And they got whipped and they lost the covenant because God does not spell power the same way we do. We spell power with stuff. We spell power with weapons, but God spells power with purity. Okay, the second thing that happens, okay, is that deliverance arises. Okay, D destruction or the enemy, we're protected from evil, but not only are we protected from evil, but not only are we kept from that, but something else rises. Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm, see the salvation of the Lord, which will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You only have to be still. Peter says that the blood of Jesus is the currency of our salvation. We just read that a few moments ago. You and I are right with God, not because of our good deeds. We're not even right with God because of our faith. Faith is part of what God uses to help us embrace, but it's by the blood of Jesus that operates through grace. <laughs> Loved ones, the, the more we walk with God, the more we get an understanding that the covering of the blood of Jesus is not just a dodged bullet, but it's the end of bondage. See, Israel would have been happy to say, oh, thank God we don't live there anymore. We might have got out just by the skin of our teeth, but at least we got out. You know, what, you know what Moses said? He said, no, listen to me. These Egyptians that have plagued you for 400 years, look at them. And they say, yeah, we, yeah, we got away, but we better keep moving because they could. No, he says, you will never see them again. You will never see them again. And loved ones, I think so many times, excuse me, <laughs> we're content to escape. We're content to get relief. But the blood of Jesus says your enemy will be destroyed. You will never come under this bondage again. I used to be a slave to Satan. I used to be blind to his lies. I was by nature a child of wrath. And I still have moments when I don't act like a Christian. But the bottom line is because of the blood of Jesus, I've not only been delivered from that, I have become a new creation. Deliverance arises. Let me tell you the third thing. New hope emerges. New hope emerges in Exodus 13. He says, understand this. This is Passover, but this begins a new year for you. This is a new beginning for you. Everything is now reset. It's like the words of my favorite song, pictures of man in prison. There's no way out. There's no way he can be delivered until the blood of Jesus comes. <laughs> and that, that song goes like this, long my imprisoned spirit lay fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I rose the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, 
and followed thee. The blood of Jesus says, I will protect you. The blood of Jesus says, I will destroy what has kept you in bondage. The blood of Jesus says, new hope emerges. And the final thing, the blood of Jesus says, God's glory and honor is revealed. Now, what do we do with this? In the last eight or nine minutes that we've got, what do we do with this idea of the blood of Jesus? I think there are four things, if we can remember this, it'll make all the difference in the world. Number one, see, it's not just enough to say, oh yeah, I believe in the blood of Jesus. We've got to live it out. Number one, you and I need to realize, loved ones, I cannot save myself. I cannot save myself. Whether you are big and strong or tiny and frail, everyone in Israel needed a lamb. Whether you were a good manager of your household. Nobody had much. They were slaves. But if you were a good manager, you might have a lamb that was sufficient for the task. But you might be a family. Maybe you're newlyweds. Maybe you're sick. Maybe you don't even have a lamb to offer. You were able to join with a neighbor next door. Why? Because everybody needs a lamb. Big sinners, little sinners. Whether you come from the guttermost or the uttermost, you need a lamb. I need a lamb. I remember the night I gave my life to Jesus, that old song. I love it. I love it. I love it. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. And that thou bidst me come to thee. Oh, lamb of God, I come. We need a lamb. We cannot save ourselves. So you cannot save yourself through church membership. You cannot save yourself through good deeds. You cannot save yourself by keeping score and your victories outweighing your losses. There has to be an innocent lamb slain for your sins and mine, and that lamb is Jesus. Now, here's number two. My faith doesn't have to be perfect. Go, going back to Passover. Um, so many people walk away saying, oh, if, I, if only I could believe. You know what? One of the greatest prayers in the New Testament, a man said, Lord, I believe, but I got as much unbelief as belief. Help me. And you know what Jesus did? He helped him. Let's, let's, go, back. let's go back to the night of Passover. Corey, would you come stand right here? Justin, would you come stand right here? These guys are neighbors. They live in the slaves' ghetto. They, they have nothing to hope for except the word that was given through Moses. Easton comes up to Corey and says, Daddy, did you put the blood on the door? I did, Easton. Are you sure I'm going to live? Because if you didn't get this right, I'm dead. <laughs> yes, yes, son, I know, it, I know it's right. And Easton begins to say, Daddy, how do we, how do we know well, next door, the same thing's happening. Lucas comes up to Justin and says, Daddy, did you put the blood on the door? Yes, I did. Are we going to be all right? Oh, I hope so. I hope so. I did everything I know to do. I, I Justin takes Lucas up to the door and he shows him the doorpost. And Lucas says, Daddy, did you follow directions? Well, son, I think so. I, I, I don't even know what a lentil is, but I think I've done it right. 
Daddy, how, how do I know we're going to survive? He says, I don't know, but we've done everything we can. We'll just see what happens. And they both squall themselves to sleep. Over here, Easton says, Daddy, I just, before I go to bed, I just, help me understand this. And he picks Easton up. He takes him up to the door. He says, look, God said, do this. And we did this. God said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. We're going to go to sleep tonight, buddy, and you're going to be frightened. You're going to hear some screams over from the Egyptians precinct, but know that the death angel will pass over us. And you know what we've been led to believe? This house is going to be okay. This house is not because the faith's not perfect. But let me ask you this. Which house was spared the death angel? Both of them. Both of them. We've got to understand our faith doesn't have to be perfect. Go celebrate with your boys. There you go. <laughs> number three, number three, there is nothing I can do. There's no commandment I can keep. There's no gift I can give. There's nothing I can do that will make God love me more than he loves me right now. And there is nothing, although God perish the thought, there's nothing we can do that will make him love us less. We have got to understand that it's based on relationship. And I want to tell you, any denomination, any church, we all fall into the trap. But you've got to understand, you are not going to heaven because you've been a good girl. You are not going to heaven because you've been a good boy. You and I are going to heaven because we have put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, the blood covenant. What can wash away my sin? Good works. No, that doesn't even rhyme. What can wash away my sin? Church membership. No, there's too many churches that get mad at people and ban them from church. Thank God it's not up to their membership standards. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. There is a fountain, the songwriter said, filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath the flood lose all their guilty stain. It's the blood of Jesus. It's the blood of Jesus. Um, nothing else will make him love me more. Nothing I do wrong will make him love me less. I am already surrounded by God that loves me with a perfect love. Now, don't get me wrong. There's, there's stuff we need to do. There's stuff we need to believe, but we've got to let go. I spent too many nights growing up sneaking up to my mother and daddy's room to be sure I could hear my mama breathing to know I hadn't missed the rapture. I'm serious. Uh, we, I, I was taught that I was saved by grace and then everybody in church told me that I stayed saved by good works. And it's hard to do nothing but good works. Well, here's the last thing and we're done. Blood is the language of covenant. Blood is the language of covenant. That's why whenever friends cut covenant together, it involved the sacrifice of an animal. That's why whenever Israel offered their gifts to the Lord, and praise God, we don't have to do any of that now. The, the law for Israel, the ceremonial law, the, the, uh, the, the sacrifices, the dietary restrictions, all of those things have been satisfied in Jesus. 
but every one of them in one form or another was based on blood. And Jesus has been the perfect sacrifice. I love the way it was expressed in Genesis 15. God was trying to show Abraham how committed he was to Abraham. And I know most of you have heard this, especially if you come on Wednesday nights. But let me tell you what God did. He said, Abraham, I'm making a promise to you. I'm going to make a covenant by blood. The most serious thing. And when you made a covenant by blood, you cut the animals into pieces. And you were basically saying, if I don't do my part, may the same thing that happened to these animals happen to me. Pretty serious deal. Abraham cuts the animals up and he's waiting for God to come so the two of them can walk covenant where Abraham says, I'm half responsible and you're half responsible. But do you know what God did? He showed up and this is an amazing teaching of grace. He made Abraham stay where he was and God did all the walking. He did all the walking. Now, I know he's going to tell Abraham, keep covenant with me. We have our part. I understand that. But what God was saying there in Genesis 15 is, Abraham, if you're going to receive all these promises, you need to understand it's a blood covenant and I'll keep the covenant even when you can't. That's why we plead the blood of Jesus. Father, we're, we're out of time. You're not, but we are. It's time for us to stop now, so I'm going to end my message. But I pray for those that do not know you as Lord and Savior in a definite, clear way. Right now, Father, I ask you to give them the ability to open their hearts and say, Father, I am a sinner, but you died, you shed the blood, you cut covenant, and you said if I come to you, I can go to heaven. Lord, I know there's a lot more to the Christian life, but there's nothing more to entering the Christian life. There's nothing more to getting started. We're saved by grace through faith, not by works. So what do we do if we are lost in sin? We stand before you and plead the blood of Jesus. If we are saved and we're facing battles and struggles, Lord, we do the same thing. We stand before you. We plead the blood of Jesus. We ask for your deliverance. We ask for your protection. We ask for your enablement. We ask for your sanctifying power, all of which comes through the blood of Jesus. I'm going to ask folks here to pray. I'm going to ask folks that are watching at home to pray. God will hear you right where you are. God loves you so much you can pray something backwards and he'll turn it around for you. He's for you. And if God is for us, who can be against us? If you want further help in following the Lord Jesus, go online, go to our website, contact us. We'll be glad to get with you and help you any way that we can. Father, do your incredible work as I plead the blood of Jesus. And as we walk into these troubling days, before we get through them, we're going to understand in a fresh way what it means to live under the blood of Jesus. Thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Please join us next week. Next week I'm going to talk to you about, today I wanted you to understand the blood of Jesus. Next week I want you to understand unanswered prayer. Now, we're not going to celebrate unanswered prayer. We're not going to make unanswered prayer our goal. But when God does say no, what does it mean? And how do we handle it? And how does it open the door for greater blessing? 
We're going to have a great time next week. I love you. God bless you.